0: your appreciation lunch that the Ministerial Alliance puts on here in Eldon, and it's always a good time, uh, just for several reasons, but um, this year I had a special place for it. I don't know if it's just because my wife is in that group now, so I kind of look at that group a little differently, but I've always had a special place, and it used to be that we made bread, which meant going to Gerbs and buying Thirty loaves of bread and come and I'd set it out and that was really hard. This year we swapped over. Now what we did spaghetti for three hundred and thirty people, fifty people, whatever it was. I think we made enough for seven hundred and fifty and three fifty came or something like that. So, um, so peak of the week you'll probably get some spaghetti. I'll just warn you now. And so, uh, but it was good. And so we had a great day. And I, I just it gave me a greater appreciation for all of you, whether you're a teacher here in Eldon Osage for sales, wherever you may be. Uh, I just appreciate the role that you do and the things that you do in the lives of kids. And and. I just want to say thank you for that. I I was listening to something when I was mowing yesterday and came across this that maybe if you're in the education field you'll appreciate this because you probably hear complaints and issues from people along the way. Someone, I don't think this is a true story or not but it would be funny if it was I guess into that category. Um, Someone, uh, the old story about the school answering machine that they had programmed their, their touch phone system to say this Hello, you have reached the automated answering service of your school. In order to assist you in connecting the right staff member, please listen to all of your options before making a selection. To lie about why your child is absent, press one. To make excuses for why your child did not do his work, press two. To complain about what we do, press three. To swear at staff members, press four. To ask why you didn't get information that was already enclosed in your newsletter and several flyers mailed to you, press five. If you want us to raise your child, press six. If you want to reach out and touch, slap, or hit someone, press seven. Uh, To request another teacher for the third time this year, press eight. To complain about bus transportation, press nine. To complain about school lunches, press zero. And if you realize this is the real world and your child must be accountable and responsible for his or her own behavior, classwork, homework, and that it's not the teacher's fault for your child's lack of effort, hang up and have a nice day. I don't know, maybe that's if you appreciate that from, from that perspective. Um, and I'm thankful for the people who, who work in my kids' lives and, and who just care for the kids of our communities and uh, the good job that you do. So if you see one of those folks, whether they're a teacher, a counselor, a tea coach, whatever they may be, uh, say a prayer for them. Make sure that you go out of your way to encourage them over the course of this year in the hard job that they have ahead of them. Because growth and teaching and learning is never an easy thing, is it? No matter what field you're in, whether it's the field of education uh, or as we're going to look at today in the arena, in the field of spiritual growth, it's never an easy thing. It's always a hard and struggling process that we go through in order to learn and to grow. Growth requires several things. And in the spiritual arena, uh, the Bible has a long list of what people have labeled as disciplines that are... habits, activities of things that that when people do them, it tends to cause them to grow spiritually. Things like learning or serving or worshiping or fellowshipping or fasting or journaling or giving or memorizing and meditating scripture and on on the list could go. Um, And I'm not sure if I can prove that one discipline is higher on that list or more important on that list than others, but certainly the one that we're gonna look at these next few weeks is a key um, that you grow in it in order for you to grow in your relationship with God, to grow in your effectiveness as a Christian, to be able to serve God in better ways, to know him in deeper ways. And, And that's simply the idea and the theme of learning to pray in a better way. You see, Jesus did a lot of things, those disciplines, but he certainly prayed a lot. You find scriptures that talk about how he got up regularly and went off by himself before everybody else got up to go and to pray. He prayed before major decisions in his life. He prayed before major events in his life. He prayed during major events in his life. He turned to prayer for the help that he needed to get throughout his journey on this earth. And he tried to teach his disciples, both through his example and through his teachings, the importance of learning to be a better prayer, to be a good prayer. Prayer fed Jesus, it comforted him, it guided him, it calmed him and it helped him. And if Jesus, the son of God needed those things to succeed, then we should probably assume that we need them as well. And so I wanna encourage you in this habit over the next few weeks, and I want us to try praying for a change. I don't mean that to be a negative thing, but I would bet that most of us would say I could pray more. Most of us, if we're honest, to say, you know what, I get busy, I get distracted, I just let it kind of slide to the side because I've got things to do. And praying in a moment where there are so many seemingly important pressing demands just doesn't seem to fit in to a busy schedule. And yet, if you are one who's come to make that habit in your life, you realize that All of those busy things go so much better when there is a strong or comforted or guided soul within you. And so praying becomes one of those skills that we should engage in more regularly. And so when I say praying for a change, I do mean we should try praying more, but I really wanna think today in these next two weeks about the change part of that phrase, about how we learn to pray and it makes a difference because you hear the old expression, prayer changes things, but some of you have prayed long enough, you've tried it long enough to know that you're a little skeptical of that statement because I've prayed about a lot of things in my life and they don't always change. And so I want us to think today about what changes when we pray, what changes when we engage our heart and our mind with our heavenly father. And so I would just simply remind you of a truth, and Tim touched on it in the phrase that he used in his meditation this morning, but I would remind you of a key thought that should drive us to keep praying even when we're frustrated or even when things tend to go the wrong way after we've prayed for it to go the right way. This simple thought I hope will keep driving you to be a praying person, simply this, as a child of God, we are invited in to God's presence. Why would I pray? Maybe it's about getting things from God, but really at the heart of what the Bible teaches us about why we pray, about why did Jesus pray? We pray because as a child of God, if I'm a, if I'm a man or woman who has surrendered themselves in faith to Christ, and I have gained the title of a child of God, then I have the invitation to come into his presence. And that simple statement ought to motivate me to think, you know what, of all the places I could be, of all the places I could go, uh, being in God's presence is the best. It's the most comforting. It's the most strengthening. It's the most helpful place that I could be. Too often we neglect this invitation, though, to our harm. We miss out on the growth that should be taking place in our lives because we choose to stay outside of God's presence. The old hymn what a friend we have in Jesus has this phrasing in it. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. I note this, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Did you experience, say yes to that? I, mine would. So oftentimes I get to the end of the day and I am worn out, I am worried, I am angry, I am something all worked up. And I realize I have not talked to God about this once. And when I start to do that, things begin to change. Now, nothing around me may change, sometimes it will, but things inside of me definitely begin to change because I am no longer carrying burdens by myself. I am no longer handling the emotions and and the struggles and the pains of life, the frustrations of life alone that God begins to give a peace and a help. So oftentimes we find ourselves carrying burdens and settling for things that are less than what we could be experiencing as a child of God. And so I want to encourage us to be a praying people at a deeper level. My favorite story of this week was about a semi-truck load of ramen noodles in Georgia that was stolen. Did you read that story? $100,000 worth of ramen noodles on a semi-truck was stolen. Now, I don't know if they knew there was ramen noodles in the truck when they stole it, but imagine, you know, it's, it's college season, like kids are going to college and all the fraternity parties are cranking up and all the all the other stuff that we think, well, they shouldn't be doing that. Imagine the ramen party that could be had on a college campus because these people have a truckload of ramen noodles, $100,000 worth. And if you begin to do, how many packages is that? That could like feed an African village for a thousand years or something like that. It's incredible that $100,000 worth of ramen noodles Uh, could be be on the black market now and for nickel you can have a bag of them or something like that so I'm sure that's taking place somewhere in America but imagine if you didn't think you were getting ramen noodles you thought you were stealing electronics or something else And, and imagine opening those trucks doors and realizing that we have $100,000 worth of ramen noodles on our hands, and that has got to be a little disappointing, at least to me at some level, that I was hoping for new TVs, but instead I get ramen. And so uh, there's something that they have settled for that is less. Now, maybe it's a bunch of college kids, and maybe they're living high. I don't know what it is, but uh, that they're going to die of a salt overdose here in the next few weeks, probably, is what will happen But we miss so much because we settle for less than, as a child of God, we are invited to spend time in the presence of our Father. And I don't want to try to guilt us into praying. There's nothing worse than being guilted into doing something like praying. It's a simple invitation that God comes to us and says, I am here in your life, my child. Come and spend time with me and let me do a work in your life. That simple invitation, I hope, will motivate us to say, you know what, of all the things I could do in my day, of all the places I could go, all the thoughts I could think, the most helpful and beautiful thought would be that I am loved by my Father and that He is here to help me um, with my life. And I love the way that John reflects upon this in 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 down through verse 15. Listen to what he writes. I write these things to you, who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life so what's he trying to build he's his next phrase is this uh, I this is the confidence he wants you to have confidence in your relationship with God and so many of us lack that we have guilt that keeps us uh, uncomfortable before God we, we we trust in ourselves not in Christ and so we're nervous in God's presence but John's writing all these things he's written about Jesus so that you might have confidence And this is what he says. I love this phrasing. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Again, just we'll leave that sentence up there for a moment here. I just want you to think about what that is saying. That is saying that we should have confidence when we approach God in prayer. And again, one of Satan's most powerful tricks is to get us to think that you don't have, you shouldn't come but God confidently because you know what you did yesterday. You know what you didn't do yesterday. You didn't pray yesterday. So I'm sure God's gonna be angry at you today and he creates an insecurity in our life. But John is writing to say, you know what? When your faith, when your trust is not in yourself, but it's in what Christ has done for you, that you can come confidently. And why can we come confidently? Because your father loves you. He has drawn near to you through Christ and he wants to be with you. And and so there should be a confidence that we have when we approach God. Uh, We must come into his presence. I love that imagery of that verse because it implies that, that yes, we live in God's presence all the time, but there needs to be an actual time when I stop and I take my mind, my life, and I bring it into the presence of God. And I stop and I put everything else aside and I come into God's presence. And I realize... I'm in God's presence. This isn't everything else in my life. Nothing in my life is like this. This is meeting with my heavenly father. This is meeting with God. We can come comfortably into his presence and ask. There are things that God has that we need and it is a help in your life to be able to say, God, this is where I hurt. This is where I'm worried. This is what I'm guilty about. This is where I'm struggling. This is what I don't know about. And be able to ask that to an infinitely powerful, infinitely knowing being who cares about you is a powerful, powerful thing. There's a little phrase in there that we're gonna, the second part of the sermon is gonna be about. It's that little phrase that if we ask anything according to his will, so just kind of table that in your mind for just a second, hold that to the side. But I I, I love the part that says, go back one, sorry. I I jumped again there, sorry. Just table that in your mind, but not in the slide, okay? And so, but the one last thing I want you to see here the confidence to know that you're heard, all right? There's a lot of people, I was I was on hold this week with a, a cellular company trying to get some questions figured out for something I was having a problem with, and they weren't listening to me because I was trying to explain my issue. and probably wasn't doing a very good job of explaining it, but they weren't listening to me because they had their script of answers already prepared and they were just reading me their script. And I was like, that's not my problem. I need you to listen to me. And I was quite frustrated by the end of the conversation, but I love the picture that John paints that, that God is a God who hears his kids. God listens to you. Jesus would say that if God is, is concerned about the birds of the sky and the grass and the flowers of the field, then why should you as, your, as his child, as his kids, as people he's loved and died for, why would you think he does not care and listen to you? And so he hears us, okay? And so we should have that invitation and the understanding of that invitation that is always there throughout your day, that you can enter into God's presence. That is a beautiful invitation, There's a comfort, there's a help, there's a strength, there's a guidance that is to be found in that invitation. And I hope that you find that to be a beautiful thing, that you lean into that. But that leads us to the second thing, as you see here next, that leads us to this. So why should we pray? Because there's an invitation, but what does that do? I think this is the beautiful part of what the Bible points us to in prayer. That as a praying child, we are changed from within. So God invites you to enter into his presence. And as you come, As you enter into his presence, he begins to change you within. Now, sometimes we tend to think of prayer as, well, God, I'm going to change all the circumstances around me. And I'm going to pray, and those people, they're going to be nicer to me, or those people will will do what I want them to do, or I'll get the job I want to get, or I'll get the promotion I want to get, or my money will be with this or whatever. And we pray about all these things outside, and God may or may not answer those things. But I know the prayer that God always answers and the thing that God will always do when we come into his presence that he will change the inside of us. He will change the inner person of every man, of every woman who comes seeking after him as his child. He begins to change the way you think, the way you process, the way you feel. And he begins to work that God changes us as we go through the process of hunting for his will. And that goes back to that little phrase from 1 John that, that Jesus also talked about it in some passages. You see, wrong things tend to happen in your life when you ask for the wrong things. Have you ever had your kids at Christmas time or grandkids or somebody ask for something that would really not be very good for them? Like when your two-year-old asks for a new truck? You wouldn't do that because that's dangerous. If you ask for the wrong thing and you give them that truck, they're gonna hurt themselves or someone else. And so learning to ask for the right things is a very important part of Praying, And if you've been taught that praying is just about getting what you want and making life about you and your comfort and your well-being, then you have not been taught what the Bible talks about prayer. That the Bible, when it models prayer for us in the life of Jesus, and when it teaches us, as we're going to look in a moment, that learning to pray is not about getting God to get on our agenda. Praying is about God getting us on His agenda. It's about us learning to think like he thinks and to see the world like he sees the world. And it's a very different thing. It's about praying in according to his will. And so I love this little quote from, uh, from Eugene Peterson. He tweeted it out earlier this week when he said that a changed world begins with us and a changed us begins when we pray. And so as you pray, I wanna give you a verse because maybe you're new to this. And you're thinking, that sounds wonderful, I'd love to learn to pray, but what in the world do I pray? Well, there's a passage, funny that you asked, that someone asked Jesus the same question, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And Jesus had an answer for them, and you've heard it, you've seen it, but I think it's always helpful to come back to it, because Jesus would say this in Matthew chapter 6, um, verse 9 and following, and I'd like for you, if you would, read this out loud with me. Um, Heard this prayer, you know this prayer, but let's all read this out loud together after me, please. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil you see, Jesus said, if you, you wanna learn to pray, this is how you should pray. And so there's much in that passage that is beautiful and important and worth our time. But there's a verse, verse 10, that I think is at the heart of all of it. And if we get to that place, then so many of the things in life begin to change in a good and godly way. And we begin to grow in Christ in a powerful way. And it's verse 10. It's verse 10 where Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven you see people who grow in the process through the process of prayer are people who learn to pray that who learn to say that through their life Lord would your kingdom come would your will be done here on this earth as it is in heaven so that causes us to stop and think well what is it like like in heaven well God is honored God is Father, God is obeyed, God is the center of all things. And so what does that look like as it begins to play itself out in my life? Well, God is honored and God is obeyed and God is the center of of my life. And so as you begin to pray, God changes you. And I I love the way that you can look at this little verse through several different lenses that I think are helpful. Three of them I just want to highlight and just remind you of, of what this verse is inviting us into. And it's a verse I hope that maybe you'll jot down. And this week, if you're looking for something to pray, the first thing in the morning, when you rise, um, your thought is, God, here's my prayer today. Would your kingdom come, would your will be done on earth, in my little corner of the earth as it is in heaven. And all the implications of that begin to unfold. And here are some of those implications. What is this prayer saying? That prayer is a bowing of the knee to another's leadership. That prayer is a bowing of the knee to another person's leadership. What are we acknowledging when we say, your kingdom come? We are acknowledging that there are other kingdoms out there that are fighting for my allegiance. There's the kingdom of me. There's the kingdom of money. There's the kingdom of success and popularity. There's all these kingdoms that are fighting and saying, hey, come follow me. But then Jesus arrives, and Jesus brings a kingdom with him. Jesus had a sermon that he would preach in several different places and throughout the Gospels, and it's his first sermon, actually. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, you find Jesus say these words, The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. In other words, I've brought a kingdom with me. I didn't just come as an individual to deal individually with you. I have brought a kingdom. A kingdom implies a ruler, a F-O implies. Followers, it implies some guidelines or even rules that go with what it means to be a citizen of that kingdom. So, the kingdom of God has come near. So, repent and believe the good news. That repent word, oftentimes we look at the word repent as a negative, as it's a rebuke, and it is partly that, but it's also an invitation. It's the word saying, hey, you've been living and chasing after these other shallow ramen noodle kingdoms, let me introduce you to Jesus, and I'm the real deal. I trump all those other kingdoms, I'm greater than all of them, I'm longer lasting than all of them, I can provide for you what none of them can, they all promise, but they can't provide for you. It is asking God to use us, and we are declaring that we want to be partners with God in what He is doing in this world. And so when he talks about your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, there's a challenge to us in that, that especially in a culture where we're big about choices, like I can go online, I can choose this new piece of furniture, whatever color I want, I can go order my food and I can have 15 different variations of it. There's even a secret menu in some restaurants you go through that you can even sneak into and and get it your way. Well, the problem with that is that when we come to God, when we come to Christ and his kingdom, selected obedience, the buffet mentality has to go. You see, when I pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it is an invitation for God to rule over all of me, over all of you, not just select parts of me and you. And so the cafeteria or the buffet mindset begins to disappear. And so I have to be careful with my, with my prayer life That I don't say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and I begin to lie to God, saying, well, God, you can have all of me accept. You can have all of me accept this money part of me, where I'm not going to give you any of it. I'm going to make sure me and mine gets taken care of, and I get to do everything I want to do, and whatever's left, I'll share with you. or my tongue or I'm not going to surrender those vulgar words I use or the gossip that I like to spew or the criticism or the complaining that I like to do with my tongue. I won't surrender those things because those I like those things, but you can have these other things. You see your kingdom come, your will be done means that I learn to get rid of bitterness and forgiveness. I don't hold on to grudges because his will, his kingdom is about a forgiven, grace-filled place where I don't hold on to those kind of things. And on and on the list could go, my, my sexual life or my racial attitudes or my, my heart attitudes towards serving others, all on down the list it could go where God comes and he challenges us to say, if you really believe this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I don't get to be selective. I don't get to pick and choose. Well, I like this one, don't like that one, Jesus. That's gone if you really embrace this because you are bowing your knee to another person's leadership. You are no longer the leader. You're no longer the boss of your life. And so this is a powerful, changing kind of prayer just from this perspective. But there's a second uh, perspective you can look at this as well. This prayer is a begging for help in, in the battle of life. You are begging for help in the battle because what are you seeing? You look around you every day and you realize the world is a pretty messed up place, right? Look around your headlines every day and you'll find the latest crazy, messed up world that we live in headline. They're everywhere, local, national, worldwide. Things here are not the way they are supposed to be. In a couple of weeks here, the ladies are gonna have a a guest from Rafa House International, which is a ministry that deals in sex trafficking around the world. There's abuse and addiction There is broken relationships all around us and within us. There is greed and selfishness and on and on the list could go that we just, our hearts cry out that we need more of heaven on earth because we're not doing a very good job of treating each other very good. We need more of heaven on earth. So when we pray, Father, would your kingdom come and your will be done, it's our cry that, God, this is broken and this is messed up and we don't have the solution, so we need some of heaven's solution to come here. I love what uh, the story of Colonel Creighton Abrams during World War II, and, and he was leading a company company in, across Europe, and at one point he was entirely surrounded by the enemy, and he looked at his soldiers, and he said it in much more flowery language than I'm going to say it here today, but I can't say his version here in church. But he said, that's great. We can attack them in any direction now. And his point was, look, the enemy is all around us. We can't miss. Just start shooting. You're going to hit the enemy no matter where you go. And that's the way the world feels. There is brokenness and evil all around us, and that's exactly how the enemy wants it to be. What if you were to take the Lord's Prayer and go back through it and begin to invert it into how Satan wants the world? Satan would have you believe that there is no Father, there is no heaven. He's not worthy of being holy or hallowed. We don't want his kingdom. We want our kingdom. We don't want people's needs met by giving daily bread. We want to harbor bitterness and resentment, not forgiveness. We want to give in to temptation. We want to indulge and live life to the full and experience it all, not lead us away from temptation. And on and on it would go. And that's the world in which you and I live because it's underneath a different kingdom. And so when you and I face different things in life, um, I'm comforted by... That we're not the first generation of people to face the battle in fact we're, we've had it pretty easy compared to many the book of Acts chapter 4 the first time the early church encounters this hostile opposition to their living for Christ in a bold way some of them are arrested one of them eventually is going to be killed um, and so there's fear that fills the church it's like okay what do we do because these other people don't want us to live for Christ anymore and in Acts chapter 4 Verse 24, you find a prayer begins. It says this in verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices in prayer to God. What did they pray for? Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. What would they begin their prayer with? A reminder that they have bowed their knee to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. No one is higher than him. He is He is at the top of, uh, of the pyramid, the, the totem pole. He is at the top. And they continue to pray and, and ask God for things. And they finished their prayer in verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And I love their prayer because they don't pray, God, would you make them go away? Would you make them stop? Where do they pray for the change to happen inside of them? God, they are going to oppose us because Jesus already told us that they would oppose us. And so would you change us, make us bold make us confident, make us unashamed that we might preach and share your story without fear. And he did. The place was shook, the Bible says. And that leads to a third and last thing. This prayer is a belief in a God-ruled future. As you pray the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you are acknowledging a battle that's taking place within you You are praying, God, help make a difference in the world in which I live and use me to minister to people. But you're also realizing that it's probably never gonna really change this side of God intervening in a powerful and dramatic way. And as you get to the end of the Bible, you find that God has a plan to intervene in a powerful and dramatic way. And so what we're praying in a lot of ways is God This is a messed up, broken, pain-filled world, and we can't change all of it. We're going to serve and we're going to live our lives for you, loving and helping people the best that we can to see grace spread and grow. But we realize at the end of the day, ultimately, apart from a dramatic intervention by you, this is not going to change. And that's what you find at work. And so you're praying, God, I believe in a day that will ultimately be ruled by you when Christ returns and judgment happens and the injustices are balanced and the hurting are comforted and the broken and the grieving are healed and made well. And, and there's this world coming that is completely under his rule. No more competitors from that point forward. And while that feels far away, it feels like a distant thing. It makes us wrestle with the question, do I really believe that Jesus will do this? And once I get to the place of saying, yes, I believe this verse is just not just a prayer for today, but it's also a prophecy about tomorrow, all this is going to come, and he's going to make a difference. And so we live our lives each day with this tension, and I hope this week that maybe if I could give you a guide to say, hey, you may pray for two minutes, you may pray on that verse for an hour, there's lots of beginner plus intermediate plus expert levels in this verse to begin to apply this to our life. And so my hope this week is that you will begin to pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as you do so, it's my hope and it's my prayer that you would begin to look around you and that you would see how God is already answering this prayer. Just look around this room. You look at the stories of lives of people from maybe been coming to church here for a long time, maybe a short time, but we see that God changes lives from lives that dealt with the effects of abuse neglect, and pain, and God has begun to heal hearts with that. People who were addicted to things that used to destroy their life are now made whole and well. People who lived in grief and were overwhelmed by the pain of loss have found comfort and healing as God works through us as broken vessels to serve each other. People who have lived in sin have come to Christ in repentance, and they are now walking faithfully with Him. People who once lived in selfish ways Unselfish and surrendered to him. And so my prayer for us is that Jesus would be our example and our guide as we pray this prayer this week. In fact, it's exactly what he does in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. It says, going a little farther on the night before he died, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed that simple prayer, my father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. Yet not as I will, you, but as you will in my life so and I love how Jesus never calls us to something he has not done himself. What a great leader he is. He never calls you to do something that he has not struggled with himself. And so when you struggle to say, whose kingdom am I going to live for? Jesus struggled too, because Jesus had to wrestle in that moment, face the cross and endure it or flee, go an easier way, find an easier path. But his surrendered life said, not my will, but yours be done. And so if you want to see prayer change things in your life, this is where it starts. It starts with a surrendered will to Him. Uh, See, for many of us, we were taught that prayer is how we get God to want what we want. But at the end of the day, prayer is how God gets us to want what He wants.